Mr. Millen, it appears we have gone through the first segment and not done what we must do now, which would be the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to New Scientist magazine, it was a good week recently for the state of Nevada. Based on revelations from Duke University, examining people's brain functions while sleep-deprived, they determined that a single night of sleep deprivation is enough to shift a typical gambling strategy of defending against potential losses to one in which bigger risks are taken in pursuit of greater prizes. You know, the old, I'm feeling lucky, make it double or nothing. Well, the researchers noted that when people were sleep deprived, they changed their behavior to pursue big wins, even though it meant greater risks. What's really curious was this bias in gambling was unrelated to the volunteers' level of alertness. Noted the researchers, feeling fine after a sleepless night is no guarantee you can think straight. And speaking of straight thinking, it was a bad week last week for the tumor defense. To quote from Sacramento Bee article by Jim Sanders and Tori Van Oot, Assemblywoman Mary Hayashi voted on hundreds of bills last September. She returned to the Capitol last week as leader of a powerful committee. In between, her lawyers say, a benign brain tumor affected her judgment and contributed to a shoplifting arrest. Yes. <laughs> Assemblywoman Hayashi's attorney, Douglas Rappaport, said last Friday that a brain tumor impaired her decision-making, but that it's being treated with medication and no longer affects her. This is where the world of law sometimes diverges from the real world and the world of medicine. The article did quote medical experts saying that it is very rare for a brain tumor that does not require surgery to influence behavior so significantly. Significantly, I suppose, in that you were not a shoplifter before you shoplifted. By the way, the article notes later that uh, Assemblywoman Hayashi is chairwoman of the Assembly Business Professions and Consumer Protection Committee. Fill in your own joke here. As far as the attorney in this case goes, Mr. Rappaport, we were told by a contributor, a regular contributor to this program who was a lawyer many years ago, that in law school you're taught to address the mirror when you're shaving in the morning and see about offering up the argument you're thinking about presenting into court later that day. And if you can keep a straight face while doing so, well then maybe you've got a chance in court. But no, we're not sure how Mr. Rappaport did keep a straight face that morning. We just don't know. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for Hoosier law enforcement with the news that a handcuffed drug suspect who stole and wrecked a police cruiser in northwest Indiana is apparently still on the loose. 
Reportedly, William Blankenship stole the car last Tuesday from a local officer in the Porter County town of Coutts, then used the police radio to ask where he could find the car's cigarette lighter and a key to unlock himself. Reportedly, the Porter County Sheriff's Sergeant Larry LaFlower said there was a conversation between him and one of our officers. The sheriff's deputy denied that Blankenship was told how to remove the handcuffs or to use the cigarette lighter and instead tried to talk Blankenship into pulling over and giving himself up. We do know this. Police found the town cruiser Wednesday morning wrecked and submerged in water in a drainage ditch in nearby Laporte County. Blankenship was reportedly no longer with the vehicle. And authorities did note that loaded weapons, a handgun, a shotgun, and a rifle were left in the vehicle. But I do think they're trying to cover up for some of the details in the case, which were that the sole police officer on duty in the town had arrested Blankenship on drug charges. The officer pulled Blankenship over at a convenience store parking lot, then placed the handcuffed suspect in the back of the patrol car while he went to search the man's car. While he was doing that inventory search, his car was stolen by the suspect. According to the AP, the authorities are trying to determine how Blankenship got out of the back seat of the patrol car. It's not clear if he'd been locked inside the car. It did note that the officer, in fact, did apparently leave the keys in the ignition. All right, here's an item that's absolutely irresistible. Apparently, New Scientist magazine asked the Brief History of Time author and won't-renowned scientist Stephen Hawking what he thinks about the most. And apparently, the Cambridge University professor, who is renowned for unraveling some of the most complex questions in modern physics, answered, Women. They're a complete mystery. take a minute and look at some breaking news. The fact that we've now turned into the new year here in January and that a bunch of laws that our legislators were hard at work crafting in the past few sessions are, are now on the books. Some of these might do some good. Some of them are ludicrous. And you get to make the call as to which is which. But let's go through a few, shall we? During which time, yours truly will make editorial comments. Pediatrician and Assemblyman Richard Pan of Sacramento apparently shepherded through AB 688, which went into effect this year. This prohibits stores from selling baby food, infant formula, or over-the-counter drugs after their expiration or use-by date. In theory, this is good. But I would note that out in my mom's garage last month, I found an old bottle of water. According to the label, that water expired about six years ago. But you know what? I drank it anyway, and uh, I think I'm fine. At this point, Mr. Millen asked me if I would give six-year-old out-of-date baby food to an infant, and I will dodge that question by saying possibly not. But you know what? I would probably eat it myself, and if the kid was thirsty, I would give him six-year-old out-of-date water. Do people understand that these expiration dates on things are not a magic number. This comes up in medicine a lot. You know, someone will say, yeah, I, I had a prescription for some medicine, but, you know, the expiration date was Tuesday, so I threw it out. The truth is, you probably could take it Wednesday, and it'd still be okay. 
Here's one from Anthony Portantino, Democrat, Los Angeles, from the Assembly. AB 144, outlaws openly carrying unloaded handguns in public, with exceptions for police, parade participants, target shooters, and others. I think I'll let that one go unremarked upon. Here's one, Senator Joe Simishan, Democrat Palo Alto. Apparently SB 514 bans the sale of cough, cold, or other over-the-counter medicines containing the chemical dextromethorphan to minors without a prescription. Well, medically speaking, we've been using dextromethorphan as a cough suppressant to minors, which is under the age of 18 now for, I don't know, a couple generations, I think. And I, I'm, I remain unaware of any problems, but there seems to be a movement afoot to ban all cough preparations for anyone who's not an adult, I guess, regardless of whether this makes good medical sense. And I think I'll just leave that one go right now for today. We'll come back to that topic. Here's one we like. Law from Assemblyman Paul Fong, Democrat Cupertino, and Jared Huffman, Democrat San Rafael, AB 376 bans possession or sale or distribution of shark fins in California with limited exceptions. It's time we got rid of shark fin soup. Because there's no way to stop unscrupulous collectors from pulling up a shark, hacking his fins off, and dumping him back in the sea, which they do. Here's one that's bound to do a lot of good. AB 1111 from Assembly Members Nathan Fletcher, Republican San Diego, and Holly Mitchell, Democrat Los Angeles. This law will bar a court from garnishing wages of a homeless person, fined for truancy, loitering, curfew violations, or illegal lodging until he or she reaches age 25. You know, you have to admit, I do think it's wrong to garnish the wages of homeless people who, as we know, tend to be gainfully employed, right? Here's one you kind of had to see coming. <laughs> AB 183 from Assemblywoman Fiona Ma, Democrat San Francisco. AB 183 will bar stores from selling beer, wine, or liquor through self-checkout lanes. And finally, there's AB 606, which will require any shoplifting legislators to get tested for brain tumors. And yes, I am making that one up. Now, as regards to the current political season, we do expect to hear on next week's program from our new political correspondent. That would be the stupid, idiot, GOP horse race correspondent. But we do want to note in the wake of uh, the Iowa caucuses that goofball candidate Rick Santorum, I think, took second thanks to the rigged way they count the votes. But no sooner had that happened than George Will wrote a piece saying Santorum could energize GOP, comma, working class base. David Brooks sounded off saying GOP should consider Santorum's experience from the working class. Almost invariably nutty and crackpot columnist Charles Krauthammer sounded off saying Santorum sheds loser label, comma, becomes a worthy challenger. Which set us thinking a bit about Rick Santorum former senator from Pennsylvania, and it just so happens this program does have a Pennsylvania political correspondent. That would be our good pal Jerry Polikoff. So we thought this would be a good time to pick up the phone, call Pennsylvania, and talk about this. To which we'd say, welcome back to Radio Parallax, Jerry Polikoff. Thanks, good to be back. Now, uh, Santorum would be right right in the middle of it. Uh, he was your senator. That He got beat, though. Talk about it. Talk about his defeat, which seems to be ignored by the <laughs> national press. 
it's really interesting. He lost by almost 18 points in 2006. And, I, I mean, there's, there's quite a story there because... Uh, you know, the Democratic leadership likes to decide who's going to be the uh, uh, nominee in major elections, and they did that here. As a matter of fact, Chuck Schumer was caught on tape boasting about the fact that uh, the Democratic leadership wasn't going to allow open primaries in the future, and he was bragging about the fact that he had managed to get everybody else to back out of the race so that um, uh, he could uh, get uh, Bob Casey to be the Democratic nominee. And, you know, the background of Bob Casey, his father was a very popular, very conservative governor of Pennsylvania um, and anti-choice. And um, I think, though, a lot of people thought Bob Casey was his father. And he had run for governor in 2004, and he was the choice of the, of the Democratic leadership. They had basically anointed him the candidate. And Ed Rendell, who was the mayor of Philadelphia, decided to buck the party and challenge uh challenge for the uh challenge uh Casey in the in the primary. He ended up beating beating Casey by I some enormous amount, twenty points or or something after starting out thirty or forty points behind. And yeah. uh, Casey's strategy was the what they called the um uh Rose Garden strategy, you know, never take a position on anything, don't give interviews, don't make public uh, you know, public uh appearances. And even though you know he had the support of the of the Democratic leadership and tons and tons of money, Ed Rendell caught him and won the primary and became governor, and the rest was history. But you know they uh, managed to dig out Casey again in uh, 2006, and they got the other Democratic candidates to back out, uh, with the exception of Chuck Pinocchio, who was an independent progressive. But in his case, they just told the press that he wasn't even running, and they you know and they, there was a virtual blackout there such a joke that even Bob Casey could beat him. And he did his Rose Garden strategy again. And he won by some almost 18 points, which I just actually looked up, and it was the greatest margin of defeat for an incumbent Republican ever. Well, that makes you wonder, if a guy gets so thumped in his senatorial race, why do they figure he's a national figure that they want to run, or, or, or why do conservatives love him so much, just on his, on his crazy politics? The guy is kind of clueless, you know. I mean, he. I think most people remember his man on dog comments, <laughs> and you know that's when he came at. He got uh, very upset that the the courts were legalizing gay sex, and he basically said that, well, if you know, if if gay sex is legal, you know, he basically said everything was legal, and then he coined the term man on dog. As a matter of fact, he was. He had that conversation with a journalist, and the journalist was like, I, I can't believe we're having this conversation. <laughs> and, you know, I've never had a conversation like this with a senator. And he, and he said, well, you're a journalist. Roll with it. <laughs> wow. I mean, he's just clueless. What, what, mo- what motivated me to call you about this, about, about Santorum, because one hopes he will quietly disappear, although next week there's the South Carolina primary, when South Carolina is a very conservative state. He's a very conservative candidate. But I heard this story that he had a 20-week-old fetus from his wife having a miscarriage that he took the 20-week-old fetus home to bond with his children. As a medical person, a 20-week-old fetus, this is just, this is stomach-turning. I know. I mean, you know, the thing that's so amazing about Santorum, you know, and he just recently came out and he said the state should be allowed to ban birth control. So I guess we need to have police in everybody's bedroom to make sure that they wow. have a condom. He doesn't have any clue how this stuff 
you know, the fact that he would do this with a fetus, I mean, anybody else looks at that as, except, you know, maybe the, the Keep Terry Schiavo crowd alive, uh, you know, which he was also involved in trying to keep Terry Schiavo alive. But, you know, most normal people would look at that and say, this is beyond the realm of the sane. He talks about it probably he didn't think there was anything wrong with it. I mean, bringing, bringing the fetus home to bond with his children. Holy and he talks about crap. it publicly. And he thinks it's nice, warm, and fuzzy stuff that every family would do. He's, he's, he's pretty scary. Well, it's not often that a politician's <laughs> pronouncements will actually make my flesh crawl, but Santorum has managed to achieve that with this. And the guy is so ethically challenged. You know, he takes these stands on politics. I mean, he was when he was a senator, he was living in Virginia. He had a house in, in Penn Hills that he rented out. I mean, he never was there. But he charged Penn Hills over 100000 He built Penn Hills over $100,000 for the, the home cyber-educating of his children. He was involved with Abramoff. He was involved in the, you know, with... with delay he was one of the you know i mean this guy is, is really over the top i hope he disappears and i hope we won't have a further conversation about him but i got a bad feeling about it if he does well we'll have to talk about him again in a month or two does that sound fair sure i i i think he will disappear because he's you know the thing is he was elected during the the gingrich tsunami 94 you know that's when he was elected and that was considered a huge upset. And I don't think people really realized what a nutcase he was until people, until people started talking about him as presidential timber. And as soon as, you know, that caused a spotlight to fall on him. And that's why he lost by 18 points almost in Pennsylvania. By the time the election came around, I mean, everybody just thought he was a lunatic. <laughs> well, and, well, I'm and convinced. Was, I mean, a, a ham sandwich would have beaten him. <laughs> All right. Well, Jerry, I, I hope that we'll see him go away, but if not, we'll talk about it again, and you're welcome to come back sometime uh, in this coming year talk about politics in general as well. I'd love to. All righty. Anyway, before we leave this segment, we have to talk about one more thing that's been mandated for the current year. That would be non-incandescent light bulbs. I think it's been pretty clear that uh, the makers of traditional incandescent bulbs have been screwing us for generations by making bulbs that burn out earlier than they have to. But as we pointed out in this program, incandescent bulbs, by converting most of their energy into heat, do heat your home. Noted Scientific American in the current edition. Contrary to rumor, the incandescent light bulb is not going away, at least not right away. New U.S. regulations starting January 1st cap energy consumption of a roughly 600 lumen bulb, equivalent to a standard 100 watt incandescent bulb, at 72 watts. Which means the workhorse of home lighting will have to become about 30% more efficient overnight. The law will expand the next two years to cover 75, 60, and 40-watt bulbs. Notes the magazine, there is room for improvement. Halogen gas incandescents provide a more efficient, if pricier, alternative and will give compact fluorescents a run for their money. Note, halogen incandescents are cost $1.59 per bulb compared to the old $0.37 per bulb for uh, the traditionally engineered incandescents. Those ghastly compact fluorescents cost 223 per bulb. 
Reportedly, their lifespan is 10,000 hours compared to 750 to 1,000 for the incandescent types. But in my experience, they seem to burn out just about as fast. Hasn't that been your experience, dear listener? I mean, they might last a little longer. Anyway, thanks to this uh, legislative brilliance on the part of our uh, people in Washington, we may have to go to LEDs. Now, they supposedly will last 20,000 hours. I hope, unlike compact fluorescents, they live up to that promise. But, of course, they are somewhat more expensive, somewhat being $45 per bulb compared to 2 bucks for the compact fluorescents. I have a sneaking suspicion that we, the consumer, is getting screwed again. Because I know this. A compact fluorescent at 23 watts, which is supposed to equal a 100-watt light bulb, simply does not. The claim is that a 20-watt LED bulb will be the equivalent of a 100-watt bulb. We'll see. Listening to Radio Parallax, I'm Douglas Everett. Stay tuned. Tonight.